0: Hello and welcome to the Independent Pharmacy Alliance podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Resnick. This episode is brought to you in part by Independent Pharmacy Alliance, IPA's trade association, buying group representing 3,700 plus independent pharmacies, leveraging buying power to help pharmacies access pharmaceuticals at the best prices. IPA now offers a comprehensive third-party help desk, legislative advocacy, and continuing education free of charge to members. Learn more today at ipagroup.org. In this episode of the IPA podcast, we will speak with Thomas D'Angelo, the chairman of the Pharmacist Society of the State of New York, Pisney, Tom, welcome to the show. This is our second episode. I'm excited to have you back. Thank you, Anthony. It's a pleasure. Before we get started, Tom, could you speak a bit about your professional background and how you became an advocate for independent pharmacy? Uh, I'm a
1: 1989 graduate from St. John's University in Queens, New York. I went directly into home care right out of school, also a retail home infusion, compounding. Became an advocate back in the 90s when I realized that the PBMs were going to be a major problem for us. I did not truly get involved with Pisney until about eight years ago when I saw that the writing was on the wall and that the independent pharmacy was going to be extinct very shortly. And that's when I put my efforts into helping the uh, organization and, and trying to at least bring my ideas to it.
0: Tom, so Pisney recently had a huge victory. Pisney did a great job combating a lot of PBM disinformation, and they got New York's lawmakers to pass PBM reform legislation last year. It was nearly unanimous in the state legislature. And then the new governor, Governor Hochul, she recently signed a few bills into law that she said were probably the most comprehensive regulatory PBM structure in the country. Could you tell us what Pisney did, how it happened, and What was the real effort on the ground to get this done?
1: So we've been trying to get these bills passed for almost a decade. We had four bills going into this session this year that we called the pharmacy rescue package. It consisted of a bill called the immunization bill, which would give pharmacists in New York the right to immunize any CDC recommended vaccine without a sunset, meaning it would never end, that that authority would never go away. The ammo bill. The ammo bill was anti-mandatory mail order. We had an ammo bill passed years ago. At the last minute, the governor had us insert language in that bill that said terms and conditions, basically making the bill useless. It allowed the PBMs to choose what terms and conditions you had to meet in order to compete with their mail order company. We had another bill, the PBM bill, which was the big bill, basically licensing and registering PBMs, which as everyone knows who listens to this podcast, PBMs are the only unlicensed, they're unregulated entity in the healthcare industry. Everybody else is regulated strongly by licensure. They have to be registered. They fall under obligatory duty to take care of their patients. The PBMs have none of that. And the other bill was a fee-for-service bill, which would force the PBMs to pay us at the fee-for-service Medicaid rate in New York State, which is NADAC plus $10.08 for a prescription. All four of those bills constituted the rescue package. All four bills take the processes. We have to come up with, there's a problem. We need a bill. We need legislation to help us. The FIFA service bill kind of came in on the back end because it was originally in the budget, and then it was carved out of the budget in April when the budget was enacted because people were worried about what was going to happen with the 340B entities. So we made this bill and said, at least pay us the way we should get paid. What we have to do though is we have to now find somebody who's willing to champion that bill in both the House and the Senate. So we have to go find somebody who's aware of the situation, understands it. These things are very difficult for some people to understand. Fortunately, we've been educating our legislators for nearly a decade and they've been there for us and they understand it now. So it's not as heavy a lift as it was, but it's still a heavy lift. They have to put their name on this bill. They have to get support from both houses. And then they have to get that bill voted on and passed. So we managed to get all four bills voted on and passed nearly unanimously in both houses, which is unheard of, especially in New York State. Now we have these bills passed, but they still have to get signed by the governor, explaining why these bills are so important. Constant phone calls. And people have to understand, in the meantime, she's getting the calls from the other side. They're lobbying just as hard. Oh my God, you can't sign these bills. You do, nobody will ever get a prescription for the rest of their lives of under 100000 dollars Everyone's gonna die. And and that's basically what they do. You know, it's it's chicken little with them. The sky is always falling. And we have to counteract that and say, no, here's the evidence. This is what's really happening in all the other states that have implemented these bills. This is how it's actually working out. It's not falling. The sky is fine. They have a lot of people on their payroll. They have a lot of money. They can do a lot of campaign contributing to get their word out. So it's an uphill battle every step of the way. We got those bills passed. One of the biggest things that helped us was, believe it or not, COVID-19, the pandemic. Because when people saw how far pharmacies went to help in their neighborhoods, how important the independent pharmacy was, it made a world of difference. And they realized we could never have gotten this vaccination program off the ground without these pharmacies. We could never have done the testing that we did without these pharmacies. And we used that to our leverage. We, we had a lot of articles in every paper. We had billboards. We had radio interviews. And it all bared fruit. And she signed those bills. New Year's Eve, she signed that bill. I was having a New Year's Eve party. I was still getting phone calls at 8 o'clock at night. We need to get on the phone right now. We have to explain what this piece means. We have to explain why this is important. We have to explain why this can't be taken out. And we did. And we we were in constant conversation with her staff. And she finally ended up signing the bill. And at the last minute, there were some chapter amendments. And we got involved at that point even to make sure that the language in those chapter amendments was beneficial to us because we did not want to see the same ammo situation with terms and conditions ruining the bill. And it was tremendous.
0: Do you think that one of the key reasons you got these bills signed into law or one of them was that Governor Cuomo is no longer in office and you have a new governor in who was able to take a, let's say, more fresh perspective on the issue and more honest look at the issue?
1: Absolutely. You know, we thank the governor for signing these bills and she did listen to us. And I know she does have the interest of the constituents in the state in heart. So that was important. You know, we all know Andrew Cuomo, everything came to light at the end there, the pay to play, the type of person he really was, what he did. And so even though he would come out and say, we're going to help you, we want to help you, we want to do this, we always knew where his bread was buttered. And we always knew that he would never betray them. I mean, even his lieutenant governor DeRosa there, I believe her father is a head lobbyist for Express Scripts.
0: Wow, that's really interesting. I didn't know. Yeah, that.
1: So we oh, wow. know where the information was coming from.
0: So it's He's, kind of it, all it, in I, the family.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So even though he was saying to us, I'm going to help you, I'm going to help you. We know on the other side in his ear, he had somebody who was complete opposite. So
0: sure. Now we know one of the main reasons why he may have not signed those bills when they came before him all those one years. Of my
1: suspicions, I can't prove sure. it, but it, it is something that I always thought was quite uh, possible.
0: I think it's a pretty good suspicion. I think that could probably sway something this big. I want to bring up something that you said, which I thought was interesting. COVID-19 really helped pass these bills. And one of the things that I've been hearing all over and over again is that COVID-19 has really helped pharmacy show what they can do as a medical profession for people. And now the pharmacy profession was on full display in front of the entire country. This is something I guess the PBMs never thought in their worst nightmare would happen is that the pharmacy profession would have an unfiltered view in front of everybody in the country, including the politicians, and they couldn't spin it any other way. Pharmacy is an integral service. Expand on that a little bit more. Did you see a light go on with the legislators and governor's staff saying, you know what? They're doing all this mitigation work all this patient care work on COVID-19, maybe there's something to this.
1: Well, pharmacies never shut down. You know, even my our retail store, we never shut our stores down. Doctors' offices were closing left and right. You couldn't go to an infusion center. You couldn't get an elective surgery of any kind. I mean, you couldn't get a colonoscopy if you needed one. It was, everything was shut down. The only people that really never shut down were the hospitals, with the nurses, and the pharmacies. They stayed open. Many of us got sick. Many of us got COVID, dealt with it. And before we even knew COVID was a thing here, a lot of my pharmacy colleagues were describing being ill. And that all came out as soon as testing became available. We got to the governor, Governor Cuomo at the time, and we said, look, you have a fantastic opportunity right now to get testing done at every independent pharmacy in this state. Every pharmacy can do this. You could be the guy who gets testing really off the ground. And we did. and. You know, I remember buying these tests, knowing full well, we had no way. First, we had to apply for a a LSL, which is a limited service laboratory license, because pharmacists were not allowed to do that. So we were granted by executive order the ability to do that. We did it. We had no way of billing these products because we never billed medically for a product before. We always billed by NDC code. So there was no codes to bill for these things. We took it on anyway. Many of us were testing with no money, getting paid nothing just to make sure that we did what we said we could do and basically ate that bill. We did figure out down the road that there are ways to that we had to charge cash in some cases, that we had to build insurance companies in some cases, but we figured out a way to do it. And that was with zero prep. You know, we got this up and running in no time. The vaccine, yeah, we we did flu vaccines, but we weren't already authorized to do COVID vaccines, because it's not a CDC recommended vaccine. And New York is behind the eight ball on that. So they had to give us an executive order for that as well. And even with that, we got the executive order, we managed to start setting up vaccine clinics, have people walking in, I reconfigured an entire office I have, just so people could come in and get vaccinated and get out the door. We were able to do 10s of 1000s of vaccines very rapidly, you know, no problem. But I'm just getting paid now for vaccines that I did last February. Wow. So, so it, Last we're still, February. We're still getting that in order now. It was a difficult situation because in the beginning, there were no ways of billing for these items. It was very convoluted, very difficult. Mm-hmm. It's still a little difficult, but we've gotten better at it. But showing that we could rise to the occasion almost without any fanfare or prep was pretty amazing. And we use that. We use that every step of the way. Say, hey, look, look what we did. Look how far we got this program going and did it on our own backs because we're really not even getting paid yet. Whereas the PBMs, they already had contracts with the federal government to get stuff for free and set it up. They had no worry about getting paid for anything. They were going to get money from the federal government right off the bat for vaccines, for testing. We know that for a fact. I mean, look what just happened with Walgreens getting a a deal to buy tests at, at a low price, but had to keep the price down for 90 days. Now the 90 days is up and they want to jack up the price and everyone's yelling at them that they're gouging. And, you know, we never even got that opportunity. Everything we buy is regular wholesale. It's not more because it's coming from a secondary source.
0: So Tom, now that you have these laws passed in New York, and just some of the features, I'll name some of the features of the law. PBMs have to now become licensed in the state of New York. They have to be more transparent about the money they get from drug companies, and they have to provide pharmacies and appeals process to resolve disputes when they're underpaid. So now that these laws are passed, it goes to the New York Department of Insurance and it gives the Department of Insurance a wide latitude on regulating this industry in the state of New York. So could you tell us what is the next step now that the bills are now law and the Department of Insurance has this latitude to fully regulate PBMs within the state of New York? What are you looking to achieve in this next round with the Department of of Insurance?
1: So it's actually the Department of Financial Services, or DFS, that has regulation over them. So we've had conversations with the DFS in the past. They understand what's going on. think they were pretty happy to get this bill passed. Now they have to, to charge of regulating. So first, they're gonna have to get the, the PBMs licensed and registered. Then they have to figure out what kind of penalties are gonna inflict on them if they're not behaving themselves. Of course, they're not gonna take this lying down, right? There's gonna be a lawsuit. They're definitely gonna fight this. So bill. you
0: think they're gonna sue? Oh,
1: three Fortune 10 companies, how much money mm-hmm. do they
0: have Are they gonna
1: lose right now? Do you think they're not going to sue? I wow. think, I'd be extremely surprised if they don't, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I think there's probably going to be some kind of uh, backlash. Uh, I'm not sure where it's going to be yet, but we'll see. And now it's up to Pisney and the pharmacists figure out a conduit for us to get all of the egregious things that are going on and point them out to the DFS so they could see the low payments, the underwater payments, the crazy contract stuff, the abusive auditing, the network constriction that they're forcing on us. All of those things are addressed in this bill. But we have to point them out and show them now to the DFS so the DFS can step in and say, hey, you guys really are not paying properly. Hey, why did Tom get paid 79 cents for a product that you got $27 for from the insurance company? What's going on here? All of these things can now come into the light. The PBM's worst nightmare was something like this because once all of this stuff starts to show up, it shows you how bad they are and how much they do to affect what's going on in the pricing of pharmaceuticals in this country.
0: Tell us a little bit about DFS. Do you feel they're going to be good partners? What are the people like over there? It's a
1: government agency, but they're kind of on on their own. I think they're going to be good partners. I've been told that they're taking this very seriously. I mean, to the point of hiring extra personnel just for this division, because they know it's going to be busy.
0: Just as an aside, when you were talking about COVID made me think of something. I just saw today that Prime Therapeutics is reimbursing pharmacies a dollar, a dollar for covid therapies. Yep. So Pfizer's new covid therapy, Merck's new covid therapy, they're reimbursing the pharmacy $1 when dispensing this medication. That's including processing, labeling of the drug, patient services such as counseling. They're putting a value on this service in the form of 1 US dollar. Right. And I've heard somebody say that this is really a disincentive for pharmacies to actually dispense this medication. I was wondering, have you heard of this? And how does this make you feel as a pharmacy professional that you're supposed to be on the front lines of the COVID-19 pandemic? And what Prime Therapeutics is doing, they're just valuing your work at dispensing this important medication at a dollar. Right, and I'd like to
1: see what Prime Therapeutics is getting from the insurance company because they're certainly billing for what they're doing, on their end for doing nothing, right? right. I wanna see what they're getting for doing absolutely nothing other than being a glorified credit card switch. But in the meantime, $1, that includes the bottle, the cap, the label, the time, the transmission fee, because you, you're gonna lose money on the transmission fee, because mm-hmm. you gotta send it in. They're gonna get 35 cents right there, for, <laughs> right? So they already got 35 cents of, of my dollar. So who's gonna, who's gonna do that? We can't bill for the drug because the drug is free, allegedly, right? So we're supposed to be getting that for free. So where are we going to make our money? This is what they do. This is how they behave. This is how you become a Fortune 10 company, a Fortune 15 company. You take all the money you can and you give none of it back. And that's what they do. They're as bad as any insurance company in this country right now. Just take the money. Don't pay the premium. Don't pay the cost of the, the service. And you put it in your pocket and that's what they're doing. They've made billions and billions and billions of dollars in profit during this pandemic just on that type of behavior. While pharmacies are closing all over the place because they can't keep up.
0: It's really amazing the type of behavior that we're seeing from these supposedly big Fortune 10 companies who are supposed to be acting as good actors with patients, have a fiduciary responsibility with patients, with pharmacies. But instead, they're using the COVID-19 pandemic to just rake in the dollars at every chance that they get. So they see an opportunity here where we have COVID-19 therapeutics that are coming on the market. And what do they decide to do? They decide, we're going to just pay the pharmacy $1 for doing all the work. And like you said, how much money are they keeping? How much money are they taking from the patient? And there's no question about it. This is a disincentive for pharmacies to dispense this particular drug. If you're not going to be paid for work, people are not going to want to do it. Pharmacies are not going to want to dispense a drug if they know that they're not going to be paid for their work. And I don't think anybody in their right mind can say that a dollar is payment for dispensing such an important drug during such a critical time. Of course not. And I'll go
1: even further. Why would I put my license on the line why would I put my liability on the line for a product that I'm not getting anything in return for, right? right? I have no idea what's going to happen with this product. You want me to step up, dispense this medication, something goes wrong, patient has a reaction, whether I can get sued or not doesn't matter. I'm going to have to defend myself, regardless nice. of where we end up, it's going to cost me money. So, you know, there's, there's liabilities It goes right down the line. And and nobody is going to want to step up and dispense these things if they're not going to be properly reimbursed for it. It's just not going to happen. Oh, you know what, though? The sad part is most pharmacists have a heart and they Mm -hmm. probably will do it because they feel bad for their patient. By the way, you said something before that was incorrect. PBMs have no fiduciary responsibility to their patient. Never have. It's not in their contract, even with their insurance company. Their fiduciary responsibility is to their shareholders and their shareholders alone. Not even to the people, that the insurance companies that hire them. In this bill, there is a fiduciary responsibility the PBMs must perform for the patients
0: and everybody involved. That's a really important point. So this bill will require fiduciary duties for the patient and for the pharmacy on behalf of the insurance company. Correct. And like you said, this is an industry that's never been regulated before. So for the first time, they're going to be regulated by the state and they'll have real responsibilities in terms of how they act towards patients and towards the pharmacies.
1: Right. There's also a part of this bill is saying that patients now have the right to sue a PBM if they do something that causes them harm. So if they change their medication or they force them to go mail order and the mail order company fails to get them their medicine, they can be sued for any damages that occur. And the pharmacist can sue as well for any damages that may occur.
0: And that's the only thing these respond to is their pocketbook. Oh, absolutely. You have to go after the pocketbook because they don't respond to anything else.
1: Right, and even their their pockets are so deep that they can write off the cost of doing business to the billions of dollars. They can just say, you know what, we're gonna get sued. This is gonna happen. We'll set aside $3 billion for lawsuits we'll write it off at the end of the year as a uh, lost revenue uh, call it a day. That's how much money they make. They're making more money than anybody out there right now.
0: Right. And just to let the listeners know, we have 3 PBMs that run nearly pretty much they have control of 90% of the prescription drug market. Don't forget these.
1: These PBMs also now own insurance companies, right? So mm-hmm. Aetna is owned by CVS. Right. United Healthcare owns Optum or vice versa, Optum owns United own healthcare. I don't know which you know tail could be wagging the dog. I have no idea. And Express Scripts, I'm sure, is not far behind. It's with Cigna. So they're creating vertical monopolies. They have been for a long time. They do not like seeing money leave their monopolistic behavior in any way, shape or form. And, and that's, that's what they're doing. This is how they're behaving.
0: That's the amazing thing about what you and what Pisney and what the pharmacists in New York have done is that by regulating this industry, you've taken these fortune 10 companies and now they've been put under the regulation of the state of New York. I mean, this was a Herculean effort. Really, it's like these three companies, they've all vertically integrated and they're worth billions upon billions of dollars, but it's the pharmacists in New York who got together and showed that can be done. If people want to get together, they can overcome these monumental companies to get real change.
1: Yeah. Let's see what happens with New York now. If New York now says, wow, we, we've really uncovered a, a, a quagmire here. These guys have been really messing with everybody for such a long time. And here's all the evidence. Now they have to prove it to us. They have to show it to us. We get to see all of their books. And, you know, they're not allowed to do spread pricing anymore. There's no gag clauses anymore. There's no, there's appeals processes that now have to be in place in case I'm being audited unfairly. You know, all of these things are in this bill. It allows mm-hmm. us to delve into their behavior. And I think when they when all is said and done, they're going to realize how bad their behavior was. The next obstacle for us, obviously, is going to be the DIR disaster. But that's that's a federal issue. And that's, that's going to have to be done, you know, on a more widespread note.
0: And Tom, now that we're going into this phase where it's the regulatory process and the state has to figure out how these companies are going to be regulated, how they're going to hold their feet to the fire and make them responsible or be more responsive to patients and to pharmacies, what would you tell the pharmacists out there and the pharmacy owners who are listening? What do you want them to know in terms of if they want to get involved, knowing that this is not the end of the story and they want to get involved, what should they do? Well, the
1: first thing they should do, is if they're not a member of Pisney right now in New York State, join Pisney. Pisney is the pharmacy society for the state of New York for all pharmacists. It doesn't matter if you're independent pharmacy or not. Any pharmacist should join Pisney. We're actually working now on the rules that these chains are imposing on some of these pharmacists, as far as their quotas that they have to hit. We're trying to go after that now because we see what's going on around the country where. If Pharmacists are walking off the job. They're closing stores down. Right. I was just reading today there was a store pharmacists hadn't been in there in 4 days. Patients can't get their medications. See it's a CVS I believe. The patients are trying to call CVS, they're being told they're being referred to the CVS headquarters. CVS they're on hold for 8 hours getting no answer. They can't get their prescriptions transferred to another store. The other stores can't handle what's going on. So so all of their behaviors up till now, even with their pharmacists, are starting to show really how poorly organized and run they are and how, how greedy they really are, right? They could have hired as many people as they wanted to handle the situation with the vaccinations. Instead, they made the pharmacists in the stores work three times as hard, and now they've had it. They're pretty much done, and they're walking out. So join your organization, join Pisney. Your dues go directly to all of the initiatives that we do. All the legislative initiatives, our lobby team, all of those things have to be paid for our PR firm. And our best source of revenue is our membership. And we need to increase that. I believe that every pharmacist in the state of New York should spend the money, join the organization. It's the best thing you could do for yourself. And it would really make this organization even more powerful than it is.
0: Tom, thank you very much for joining me today. I appreciate you coming on the show, telling us what's going on in the state of New York. A huge victory for pharmacists and pharmacies in the state of New York, but they have to stay vigilant. They can't just sit back and hope that the laws will just take off on their own and everything will be okay that the pharmacists and pharmacy owners need to join Pisney, need to support Pisney's efforts because round one is over in terms of you know getting the laws signed. Now it's round two to oh, yeah. make to make them work. And this is where some of the real hard work really begins. And so uh, I wanted to congratulate you and congratulate Pisney for the huge win. And I fully expect great things to come. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Anthony. We appreciate it. To learn more about the Pharmacist Society of the State of New York, go to pssny.org. Thanks for listening to the Independent Pharmacy Alliance podcast. This podcast was made possible by the Independent Pharmacy Alliance and the President and CEO, John Ciampolo. It was produced and edited by Zach Stone with music by Marcus Way. For previous and future episodes, check out ipagroup.org. Thank you very much. Bye for now.